Talk with Grace Redmond features conversations with fierce and fabulous people from Grace's community and circle who inspire others with their stories of overcoming challenges to create amazing. Grace is an entrepreneur and success coach who works with individuals to diminish their negative mental chatter, boost their confidence, achieve their goals, and increase their prosperity mindset. Get ready for a series of Anything Goes conversations with remarkable men and women that will get you jazzed for life's unlimited possibilities of success, freedom, and fun. Welcome to Real Talk with Grace Redmond. Hey loves, it's Grace Redmond. Thank you so much for joining me on another episode of Real Talk where I get to have real life raw conversations with really incredible people from my circles and communities who have overcome challenges, have created amazing, and now are just giving back in incredible ways. Thank you so much for being here with us. I'm always grateful to you and please share, like, and subscribe so we can continue to bring you our incredible guests. Today, my brave guest is Hassan Shamia. Hassan is an immigration attorney and partner at the law offices of Shamia Shamia and Turnden. His passion for immigration law stems from the fact that he is the son of Palestinian immigrants, which gives him a unique appreciation for the complex world of immigration law. Hassan understands that navigating the legal web of immigration can be challenging and therefore exhibits an approach that is very client-centric. Hassan began his legal career while in law school, pursuing an internship with the International Criminal Court in The Hague, Netherlands. Hassan was a member of the Northwestern Law Center for Wrongful Convictions, where he advocated for the release of a wrongly incarcerated person from a Chicago prison. Hassan spent six months abroad in Johannesburg, South Africa, working with a legal organization whose sole focus was to provide common legal services to underprivileged communities free of charge. Rather than pursuing a career focused on corporate law, Hassan wanted to practice in an area where he can combine his passion for aiding the disenfranchised with his appreciation for the opportunities immigration laws offer. Please help me welcome Hassan to the show today. Hi, Hassan. Hi, how are you? I'm great, Habibi. How are you doing? Very good. It's nice to be here. Yeah, thank you so much for being here. I know you are so busy, so I'm really I'm grateful for your time today, and I'm looking forward to our chat. It's my pleasure. You do great work, and this podcast does great things and shares great stories, and so just honored to be a part of it. Thank you. Thank you. Well, speaking of, you know, great stories, I have so many questions for you and we're going to get to each one of them. You, you definitely have just a passion for, you know, serving the, you know, you know, disenfranchised communities and communities who may not have a voice. What inspired you to become an immigration attorney? So I think what's, what, I realized that I liked immigration law before I ever realized I liked immigration law. And I think that's, <laughs> as, as you said in the intro, being the son of immigrant parents, um, specifically Palestinian immigrant parents, um, their process of coming here was, was based on immigration, just like all of our parents was, mm -hmm. right? Without these immigration laws and processes, that was never, you know, it wouldn't be possible. And so after graduating law school, of course, I'm a partner with my uncle, Elias, at this office. And 
you know, he's, he invited me to come in and, and see if I, if I liked doing the actual work. And I soon found that I'd love doing the work. And it's, mm-hmm. it's because every day when I wake up in the morning, my sole goal, quite literally, I know it sounds cliche, but it's, it's true. My sole goal is to help change somebody's life for the better. Mm. Now, we may not always win every single case in court, but of course we do our best and, and we work hard and we enjoy a good success rate. But it's it's nice to, to wake up in the morning and know that I'm going to work and my sole goal is to change somebody's life for the better because that's what they came to me for. So once I realized that, it was really nice. I love that because you said the sole goal and you can talk about the soul or the soul, the only goal. And so I, I love that. That's beautiful. And it feels fulfilling. Absolutely. I mean, when we win a case and a client is crying in your shoulder, you know, it's, it's those moments where you, you're like, this is why I do what I do. Yes. Yes. So yes. It's, it's, it's fulfilling for the soul. It's fulfilling for the mind. Yeah. Um, and it's just, it's nice to give back in this way. Absolutely. And it feels good. And and I feel with you, I feel you as well. There was a moment um, in my career where I got to the point where I felt like I was giving too much, you know, to everyone else. And I wanted to focus on myself. Okay. And it was fun for a moment, you know, and then I realized I wanted to go back to service. And now that I've come back to service, like every night I go to bed, I can't wait to wake up to see how I can serve. So I can relate to what you're saying. It, it's, it's, it is very fulfilling to give back. Yeah, because, that's for sure. Because what we do and is, is doing both, right? We're serving, but we're also fulfilling and focusing on ourselves and getting that enjoyment and fulfillment in that regard. So we Absolutely. two one stone. <laughs> Absolutely. And, you know, in my, because I experiment in life all the time, in my experiment, experiment that year, I felt like it's just going to be about me. I deserve it. And of sure. course I deserve it. We have to take care of ourselves. But, you know, now I realize same, like if I can just serve someone each day, that makes me feel good. That makes me feel good. So for you, you've really connected your mission and your journey, you know, to the advocacy for those who are less fortunate. Would you be able to share a success story with us? Yeah. I mean, there's, there's tons of success stories. (laughs) I'm happy to say that. I'll give you one success story that really hits home. It's this Afghan woman who after the Taliban kind of took over Afghanistan recently, a few years back, her, her husband and her two young children fled on a boat to try to go to another country because they were trying to escape their life. Mm-hmm. And on this boat were dozens of families, small boat, but as they tried to make their journey to a European country, the boat essentially capsized and her husband got washed away and she has no idea. I mean, he's, he was gone. He was gone. She managed to hold on to her two children and they managed to get atop a piece of plank, I guess, part of the boat and float there for a bit. And she was holding on to her children and a wave came, crashed over them she submerged to the to the surface of the water and her kids were nowhere to be found she looks in the distance and she finds her two kids with another man who cannot swim so she finds her way to them in these rough seas the man actually ends up 
letting go and and drowning in front of her and, and just going to the bottom of the ocean in front of her. Oh my goodness. Another wave crashes, she comes to the surface and her children are gone. Mm. She is evacuated using a rescue boat that was a few miles away. And this woman has never touched water before in her life, uh, mm -hmm. other than a shower. So they came, she came to us and, you know, we filed an asylum process and we were able to win that case. And she's now writing a book about her journey. Um, oh my God. Out of Afghanistan to the United States. And, and she's, she's brilliant. I just got emotional. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's, I mean, I got emotional too. And I, I told her I would be I'd love to be the first person to buy that book. Um, I'm, I'm with you right there. And, and so, yeah, and, 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 you know, sometimes I always say, okay, Grace, you know, first world problems, keep it moving. Because when I hear stories like that and people who survive that type of tragedy and, and they thrive and survive and she's writing a book, that speaks to the resilience and unwavering faith of people, you know, which brings me to what we've been witnessing, you know, in Gaza the last four months and their resilience and their unwavering faith, it's unbelievable. And for me, it reminds me to just keep showing up, keep doing whatever you need to do. You know, I might not be the you know greatest political person, but I'm gonna show up and advocate and educate because they're under rubble and she's in the ocean and they rise above that. And I feel like we're so privileged absolutely and i think we get we get caught up in what can i do from here right i feel yes. i feel hopeless yes. yes but people underestimate the value of showing up of making those phone calls to representatives mm -hmm. of getting involved um and it's it's nothing to be underestimated right i mean just mm -hmm. the other day a senator referenced his vote against the aid package due to the volume of calls that his constituents made to his office, right? So there, there is a tangible impact. And if, like you said, these folks can be resilient given their grave conditions, then the very least we can do is at least show up. Yes, yes. And in any way that works, you know, I know some people, you know, there's protests and there's education. And, and also, I want to put this out there. It is a true, it is a fact that if Palestinians speak up or someone speaks up, it, it's it's not a lie that we can get fired or there can be backlash. That is a reality. I, I feel like I'm blessed because I have my own business and you have your firm and we can, you know, and, and it's not, we're not saying anything wrong. This is not a, this, them or, 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 or they, this is about humanity and making an effort to peace and coexisting. So whatever way you can show up, whatever that is, like Hassan said, please don't underestimate it. Absolutely. Which brings me to, you know, you re you know, back in November, you filed a lawsuit against the United States government because to get Palestinian Americans out of Gaza. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to ask you a question. How did you feel even <laughs> thinking about filing a suit against the United States government? What, were, what, was your th what were you thinking? Like, what was the thought process? Uh, what I was really focused on was what can I do to help these Palestinian Americans who are from the peninsula, right? One is from Delhi City. Uh, and, yeah. And so what can I do to bring this old lady back home? 
And so, yeah, of course, it crossed my mind. Like it says versus, you know, the client's name versus United States of America, Joe Biden, Anthony Blinken. And it's, it's quite intimidating to actually submit that. Right. But I think knowing that all the other options were exhausted, but nothing was working, right? Nothing was working, not congressional help, not emails, not phone calls, not reaching out to the embassies over there, to the Israelis, to the Egyptians, to the Americans, given that nothing was working, it really left us no option, right? And the American judicial system, right? The, the law is there for a reason, right? And so it is your right as an American citizen to bring a suit to protect your rights. And so when I frame it in that way, it's reassuring to me. Although, you know, I'd be lying if I said it wasn't a little bit you know, I wasn't a little bit concerned about would there be repercussions? Would there, would I face career repercussions or, mm-hmm. or otherwise? And, you know, I'm, I'm happy to say, no, I didn't. And, you know, it ended up working out because the client made it out shortly after filing the actual lawsuit. Amen. And do you think it was due to the lawsuit and the pressure that was coming from the lawsuit? I think it definitely played a role. I'm not one to take credit for, for something that's significant, but after filing and before and upon filing the lawsuit, we got a lot of media attention and a lot of social media attention with some major influencers and major media publications posting the stories from NPR to CNN to, you know, and one can only assume that that media pressure and attention really elevated the call and and facilitated, helped facilitate the, the evacuation. Yeah. And, and I, I believe that, you know, to be true, it's, I feel like it's like the, 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 the tree and we're chopping like every, every, every action towards advocacy helps. And, and that was, that was, that was great because you're right. I can imagine that you're thinking, you know, what are the repercussions going to be, you know, on my career and you, you chose to step into that, that fear. And so we thank you for that. And, and so once the, the suit was filed and, you know, you were able to bring, I, I believe it was a like 80 year old grandmother, yeah. right? So there was two grandmothers. One was one we actually filed the suit for one. We were in preparation when we were preparing the actual lawsuit. So two, two grandmothers, Palestinian Americans, both us citizens. Right. And that's something that is important to kind of always come back to that. We're talking about us citizens. We're talking about people who, deserve and are owed the protection of of the u.s government regardless of where they are so that was kind of the basis of the lawsuit is calling out this unequal treatment between the u.s citizens that were trapped in gaza and the u.s citizens in israel Mm -hmm. and after october 7th merely 10 days after there was a royal caribbean cruise line that the u.s embassy in tel aviv actually chartered to say, hey, we want you to port at Haifa, take these Israeli Americans, take them to Cyprus, and then help facilitate their transfer to the U.S. Ted Cruz, right, chartered private flights on his personal plane. The State Department chartered flights through Tel Aviv Airport. But Palestinian Americans were left with zero to no options. And so, yeah, we had to do it. Again, all American citizens, all American citizens, what's the discrepancy? What do you mean? Like, 
So we're all American citizens. Why the unequal treatment? <laughs> I mean, I think we, we can all point to the fact that there was U.S. citizens in Gaza and U.S. citizens in Israel. Simply by the fact of they were on this side of the line, they got a chartered Royal Caribbean cruise line, mm-hmm. right? And if for the Palestinians on this side of the line, you were left to essentially fend for yourself with no guidance. So, so it was without, just being wrong side, you know, wrong side of the line. But what that is, I mean, being Palestinian, right? And being in the Palestinian territories and, and what the government associates that with. And due to that association, wrongfully so, they got very disparate treatment. Which, which is unfortunate because the last several years we've talked about equality and humanity and just witnessing, you know, what's unfolded the last four months. And again, it's not us or them. Like This is humanity. We, we've been preaching this, you know, the last four years. And so it's been, it's been disappointing. And at the same time, I've never seen so, you know, many people come out to support the cause of the Palestinians. I never thought I would see that in my lifetime. So that shows me that there, there is, there is a shift. Of course, it's not happening fast enough. And I'm grateful that, that, you know, it is out in the mainstream. I think the shift is happening on the ground, right? It's, it's important to separate those two things, right? On the ground versus with the people in power. If you look oh, at the yeah. around the world, right? I mean, sure. Indonesia with 3 million people coming out, but um, the shift is happening on the ground. Now, whether that yeah. translates into something larger at those oh. at the people of power level, that's yet to be seen. That, well, that's, that's what's controlling everything. The, the, this piece, it's not the people. Yeah. Like we want peace. People want humanity. It's the, the powers that be, the greed. How have you been able to manage your, you know, emotions and stay grounded during such a volatile time? It's a good question because it is exhausting, emotionally exhausting. Right? I do have family in the West Bank who are there now and living through what's going on in the West Bank. But I just keep reminding myself that this is my way of contributing. Right? Prior to these lawsuits being initiated, I really felt down and, and almost depressed because you're watching this you know, genocide unfold before your eyes and there's nothing that you can do to stop it. But when you find a way to get involved, protests, letter writing, calling, lawsuits like this, when you find that avenue, you really find an emotional outlet that, that keeps, you, keeps you focused and, and allows you to put all those emotions that have been boiled up and, and building out on whatever it is that you are working on. Yes. And just transmuting that energy into the advocacy, into the work, into the showing up, into the educating. Yep. Absolutely. Would you, would you do anything different? The last, is there anything you would do different? I, I don't think so because you know, there's still efforts going on now with regards to immigration for Palestinians who need to or want to leave. Right when we saw the the war in UK, Ukraine break out, there was immigration programs almost immediately launched to bring Ukrainians over from Ukraine and, and seek safety here. And so, I think we're doing as as immigration lawyers and and community members, we're doing everything we can. So, do everything different? No, I just I just hope that it continues at this level. And 
how, like, what can, as immigration, you know, as an immigration firm, seeing that when the war in Ukraine broke out and there was all these programs, and now there probably aren't any programs for Palestinians to immigrate, you know, what are the steps that a firm like yours would take to, to advocate for new policies? So, I mean, there's meetings with government officials, with immigration officials that we've been actively part of. There's been community groups that have formed uh, groups of lawyers to help assist filing of applications, free of charge, of course, for Palestinians who are Americans who are filing for their family members abroad. And so we're it's amazing to see the unification of immigration attorneys nationwide, right. not just Arab, right? You're talking about all kinds of, of, of immigration attorneys coming together because of this lack of programs that there was for other other countries and other conflicts so so the groups that have been working on that have been tremendous that's amazing and it has to start somewhere and you know like like we were saying earlier yes the shift is happening on the ground who knows what's going to happen here it it has to start somewhere we might not see it in our lifetime but it has to start somewhere so thank you for all of the work that you do of course so you've mentioned the term restorative justice. What does that mean? Restorative justice is a concept I learned about back in college. Even from college, I was really interested in conflicts and what happens after a conflict subsides, right? And specifically mm. South Africa. That was largely, it, it was a racial conflict, right? It was apartheid based on race. And because I studied over there, because I went there, I saw the community, the country united, right? Of course, there's racial tensions here and there, oh, there's underlying stuff, but by and large, it's a, it's a pretty unified country. And it's remarkable to me because just, you know, it, within memory, right, it was a country that was torn by apartheid. Yeah. So restorative justice is a term and a concept that South Africa used to move past apartheid in a unified manner. It's basically having a listening session with the person who's harmed you, mm. giving them, and moving forward together despite the level of harm that this person did to you, your loved ones. That's very tough. powerful. Very powerful. Very it's it's would you would you say it's similar to you know maybe forgiveness sure i i think that's what that's what it is and and through forgiveness you can get justice right through mm -hmm. the admissions of the harms that this person is telling you to your face and through this process of forgiveness that is a form of justice in and of itself at least that's what the principle calls for that's powerful yeah that's not easy and it's very powerful and so, you know, going back, like you said, you not only studied in Johann, um, Johannesburg, but you also stayed there because you loved it so much. Mm -hmm. um, you know, how, how were the, you know, like you said there, of course, there's going to be racial tension. And, but how were the communities coexisting after so many decades of apartheid? Well, I mean, they're existing peacefully and unified, right? I mean, in a, in a way that, you know, the ANC, who's a governing um, political party in South Africa, is a largely black party. 
but there is no repression of the white minority, right? There is no repression of the Indian minority. It's by and large an equal society. And so I was really interested in that because is that possible for Palestine? That was is, my next question. So yeah, take it from here. Yeah, it, is it right? I mean, because you know, people equate what happened in South South Africa to what's going on now in Palestine. So, you know, people when you were going to protest, you say no justice, no peace. But what does justice look like? Right? There's so many different forms and ways to go about it and is south africa's model the right way i mean it's working but is it doable i don't know i don't know is it a one-off i don't know gosh <laughs> can't we all just get along yeah i wish it was that easy i know i wish it was that easy because but you know I, I, it's controversial grace right i, I mean know. like I know. You're telling people you want me to forgive somebody who's I know. my family and did X, Y, and Z to my loved ones, but South Africans did it. Well, that that's the, that's the powerful piece, and you know, not only do I teach the principle of principles of success, however, you know, the principles of spirituality, and ultimately, you know, that's that that's ultimately you know forgiveness is for you not the other person however when you're witnessing such grave situations you know I, i'd feel foolish to to say well let's talk about forgiveness and restorative justice however you know i i've watched several maybe you can call them influencers who are for peace and they're you know let's not polarize let's let's you know come together and you're right it's not a popular stand because this person, you know, this side's angry and this side's angry and clash. However, you know, how can we advocate without polarizing? Like, how can we advocate and, and bring peace together? It, it feels, I know I've had a challenge with it when I feel like I'm advocating. It doesn't mean I don't care about, you know, this. We want, we want peace. It's just, you're right. It's controversial. But I think the most important part was the willingness of white South Africans to admit their wrongdoings, right? Okay. And so, because that's what it was based on, is as a white South African, you would sit there and you would tell the community you harmed everything you did. And as long as you were honest about everything you did, the black South Africans, not 100%, but by and large, were ready to forgive you for admitting all of these wrongs. So... If that exists, you know, within this conflict, then okay, sorry. maybe. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm gonna get I'm gonna get punished and, and cancel culture. No, but there, but uh, there are so many. You know, have a lot of Jewish friends. The voice of Jewish, you know, for peace have been amazing. It's it's not. I don't think it's you know, Palestinians don't like Jews and Jews don't like Palestinians. I think it comes here from the establishment. Because I think that we we want peace and we want to see peace and we want to see humanity and I know it's a controversial controversial topic and but it's okay we have to have this conversation and it's necessary. Yeah. It it's is necessary. So you know I hold that utopian vision <laughs> that you know in my lifetime that there could be some type of peace and and coexistence and restorative justice that would be amazing i hope i so. will hold that vision i will hold that vision 
and I think most, you know, I, I would think that Palestinians would would get behind it, right? My my, my dad, who's you know, and, and mom, who were expelled from their homes and and had to flee. They, my dad always says, just give me the right to be equal and go back. Right? That's it. And I will. And if everybody's equal, then then we have no problems, right? But that's kind of the starting point. Right. And you're right. I mean, I haven't, you know, connected with anyone who's had a different, you know, perspective than that. It's like, let's just humanity, peace. I mean, everybody wants to just live in peace with their families and have basic human, you know, human rights, be respected, have food, have water. It doesn't seem that, um, you know, difficult. And, you know, that's why it's necessary for us to continue to advocate. And, and hopefully in our lifetime, we, we will see that you know, coexistence and that restorative justice. And so with that being said, what do you think has been one of the greatest challenges for you navigating the last several months? Hmm. Um, I think it's not getting burnt out. Okay. Fair. Uh, because there's so much I want to do. There's so much I need to do. There's so much I feel like I can do, I can't do. And it's being honest with myself and saying, what you are doing is enough for what you can do, right? It's because you always want to be doing more. You always want to be doing more because you feel like you you need to. It's your obligation, and so I, I think making sure that I'm I'm balancing all of those things along with my firm and my family and, and and everything. I think that's been the most challenging part of it all. But luckily, I got an amazing support system at home, an amazing office staff here. And everybody's been, you know, jumping in to help and great colleagues. And, you know, when when things seem like they're it's overwhelming, it's those people you go to and they kind of bring you back down and, and ground you and get you refocused. That's beautiful. So and, and I and I, I hear you just wanting to do so much and we're just not having the bandwidth and how beautiful that you have that support system and community to lean on because we need each other and we also need to you know, take care of ourselves because if not, bless you. Because if we're not taking care of ourselves, like we're not able to serve. Yeah, exactly. So, so what do you think has been the lesson for you in, in everything that's happened, um, you know, in, in filing the lawsuit, in, you know, being an advocate? What's the lesson that's come out of it for you? That's a good question. I think the lesson is that there is, there are tools to get you what you need and what you deserve and what you're owed. And I think people are oftentimes hesitant to utilize those tools, right? To get what is owed to them. And I know that sounds vague, but I'm, I'm thinking about the lawsuit specifically and going back to that conversation we had earlier that, yeah, even the, the clients themselves were scared, right? What is my grandmother going to face as a result? Right? Are they going to take away her citizenship? Are they going to? But it's it's really the advocacy and protecting the rights of people that make sure that you know none of that happens. So I don't know. It's a long it's a long way of saying that I think the lesson is you need to find an avenue that works because there is an avenue that works, right? I like that. So don't take no for an answer. If you get a no, you're knocking on the wrong door. There's other, there's plenty of doors to knock on, right? Yeah, 
Mm. And you may just have to nudge one in with your shoulder or, you know, knock a little harder. But eventually, eventually, through consistency and determination, that door will be open, whether by force or, or otherwise. I like that. Which brings me to how does faith play into all of everything that you do? I mean, I, I have faith in humanity, Grace. Right, I have faith that people are born good. Yeah, and I, I believe that we can tap into that goodness of people using pulling the right levers, right? And people may lose sight of their goodness, as we're seeing around the world. And but there are there are people out there that they need to be reminded of of what it means to be good. Right? And so I have faith in humanity that there are plenty of people out there standing with the Palestinians, that there are plenty of people advocating for immigration reform because they know that that is the right thing to do. So I have faith that these people and, and humanity will come and, and save save us, <laughs> for lack of a better word, and, and, and make sure that we're covered. I, I believe that to be true as well. I believe that we, you know, we, we are innately good and then life happens and, and we, you know, hurt people, hurt people. And I, I too believe it's, it's been so challenging, but in, in my belief and perspective, if I could, you know, use these words, I believe that God is in, is in control. And you know, maybe this is helping to teach us like to go back to humanity, like you said, like bring it back to be respectful and kind. And it doesn't matter where a person comes from or what color they are or what religion or what race that just, we, we all are, we, we are part of one race, the human race. And I also, and then I don't know if I'm going to open this can of worm. I also believe, you know, the media plays on, <laughs> you know, divide and conquer right sure so but ultimately I, I agree with you i believe that you know people are are good and I, I i believe in humanity i believe in humanity as well i see people doing great things every day which brings me to what makes the team at your firm shamia shamia turned in one of the top firms i mean you, you stand <laughs> out the firm stands out what makes you the top immigration firm in the nation i appreciate that uh and we, we just work really hard. I mean, we have a, a crew of 12 folks who are really committed to their clients. There's legal assistants here who, you know, cry when the client wins, all right? And they're, they're crying together. And, and when you have folks that are truly invested in the clients and, and their stories and the outcome that, that we're fighting for, you, a great team will naturally come about. Right? There's yeah. nothing you can do to avoid that. And so I think we've been very fortunate to have such an amazing squad that is truly invested in the clients that they're helping. And I think because of that, we're able to to work hard and, and get the best results we can. And that's that's when we're talking about humanity right there, you know, helping yeah. helping others. And and that's what you've been all about since you've gone to law school and you've always been about service and helping others. So we really appreciate that about you. I know it's been a lot of work 
and it hasn't been easy. And we just want you to know that we appreciate everything that you've been doing for the community near and far. And, this, you know, this is a start, you know, God willing, the bigger shift, the bigger shift. So what's one thing that you'd like, what piece of wisdom that you'd like to leave our audience with? Grace, you're putting, you didn't, you didn't tell me you're going to ask me that question. Uh, <laughs> I've, 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 I've been all different angles. You've been doing great. <laughs> um, sometimes I'm asked to go back to my high school and speak to high school students, um, you know, for career day or whatever it may be. And one thing I tell them, and it may sound cliche, but failure is inevitable, right? Mm -hmm but it's failing forward. What does that mean to me? That means you fail and you continue to push forward and grow from it. You don't fail and then fall back and stay there. You mm -hmm. fail, fail forward. And yes. if, if, if people can truly accept that failure is going to happen, no matter what, whether you like it or not, whether you think you can control every outcome or not, Failure will happen, but if you fail forward, then only great things can happen after that. And as long as you continue to remember that, no matter how many failures may come your way, as long as you continue to fail forward, I think that eventually those will turn into inevitable success. Yes, I love that. And thank you for that incredible piece of wisdom. I'm with you on that 100%. I appreciate you. I know you're super busy, so I won't keep you any longer. So please, for those that are watching and listening and they need, you know, support or they need have a loved one that may need support, where's the best way that we can reach you, Hassan? Yeah, so Instagram is, believe it or not, the best way, G Shamia ESQ, or our website, shamialawsf.com. Perfect. And we'll also have that contact information, you know, in the banner of this podcast. So if anyone needs it, it'll be there for you. And I just want to tell you, thank you so much for joining us, Sam, for everything that you're doing. And for those of you watching and listening, I really appreciate you and am really grateful because I know there's so many other places you can be. And please, if you are listening and watching, share, subscribe, and maybe write a review so we can continue to come back with incredible guests like Hassan. All right, I'll have a wonderful rest of the day, Hassan, hanging with me. love. Thank you so much for listening today. I am so grateful for you. I'd like to show you my appreciation by gifting you a free forgiveness self-hypnosis audio download. Part of living the fun and fabulous life is practicing forgiveness. Forgiveness can be such a long and challenging process. My intention is that this forgiveness audio will help you in practicing forgiveness, especially with yourself. Grab it by visiting daretoachieve.com backslash forgiveness. For more inspiring tips, make sure to connect with me on social media. Drop me a line on Facebook or Instagram at Grace Redmond Dare to Achieve. Until next time, keep moving forward towards living your fabulous life.